If you would, open God's word with me to uh, Colossians chapter 1 this morning, and you'll be fixing your eyes down at verse 11, down to verse 20 this morning in our time together. But before we do that, and I want to thank uh, Kashan and the men for helping this morning, I want to uh, pray once again, just as we enter into worship through the word. Heavenly Father, we pray that your blessing would be upon the preaching of your word, that you would uh, use it to encourage and strengthen and direct our lives today, and not just in this current environment in which we find ourselves, but even in the days ahead, as we are being used by you to be salt and light to those around us who are desperate and despairing. Help us, God, by your grace to accurately represent the hope that we have in Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, as as of today, we know that there are over 500,000 people infected with the coronavirus in the United States. And there are over 18,000 who have died due to its devastating effect on their bodies. And one thing I want us to remember in that is this. All those numbers seem staggering, but they're even more staggering when you understand that they represent the lives of people made in the image of God. Suffering people, people who are going through desperate times as they face this. Just think about this. Over 500,000 people that are separated from their loved ones. Over 18,000 people mourning the loss of their parent, their child, their family member, or friend. I think we need to keep that in our minds in the days ahead. Because we have something to offer those who will be affected by this this virus in our land. We need to understand something else about this virus. This virus is intended by God to be a reminder for us. It's a reminder to us and to all mankind that we live in a broken world, in a world that is broken because of sin. And we need to, at this time, humble ourselves And so do all those in the world who are suffering under this. They need to humble themselves and cry out to God for help, not just in the physical needs that they have, but for the greater need they have spiritually. They need to do that because this current world and the current situation in the world reminds us of what sin did to this world. What happened in the garden affects us today. Our current situation reminds us that the the whole earth groans with pain and sorrow because of sin. The earth trembles, diseases flourish, and mankind dies, all as a result of sin. Our world is broken. Our world is defiled. Our world is suffering. And at times, men do not pay attention. But at this time, all mankind has to stand up and take notice. And we know the reason behind this suffering today. Mankind's suffering comes as a result of man's rebellion against God. We all feel the effect of that rebellion in this world. We feel the brokenness in this world around us. We feel it in things like war and terrorism and disease and the suffering that people face just in daily life. And ultimately, we see it when we go to a funeral and we see death face to face. We see the effect of brokenness, the effect of sin And our world seems to be dominated by this. But that isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way God intended it to be. It wasn't this way in the beginning. 
These, these problems that we face, whether it was a virus today or a war tomorrow, these problems should simply remind us that this world needs to be reconciled to its creator. That's why we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 this morning. And the good news that we find here, I think, is encouraging for us as saints and also for those who we minister to who are going through suffering at this time in this world. The good news for us here in Colossians 1 is that this world will one day be reconciled in the future by our Savior, who is our creator. The great reconciler himself will remove the stain of sin from this planet forever. And we see that gloriously displayed here in Colossians 1. I'm going to read verses 11 down to 20. So read along with me, if you would. The Apostle Paul writes here, I think, to encourage the saints at Colossae. He says, May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. He is preeminent. And in him, all things hold together. They are sustained. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent foremost. For in him, Christ Jesus All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's what he's going to do in the future because of what he did in the past. What he accomplished in the past results in greater promises in the future than we can ever even imagine. It's important for us to see that here, because in this passage, the Apostle Paul reveals something in particular about the Lord Jesus. He reveals the supremacy of Christ as our great reconciler. These verses declare Christ's deity, his authority, his power over all creation, and in particular over our salvation, which leads him to do something to creation in the future for the sake of his elect. That's part of that reconciling promise that we have in the cross, not just our spiritual reconciliation, but all things will be reconciled to God's glory in the end. Today, I just want us to look primarily at verses 16 to 20. I'm going to read it again and pay attention to the phrases, all things. These are very important. In verse 16, it says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. It all belongs to Jesus. He created it. He sustains it, he says in the next verse. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is what keeps this world intact. He is the one who will actually cause this world to become undone in the end and recreated by his grace in the future. And he is the one who is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be be preeminent. He is king of kings. He's king over our souls, king over this world, king over the church. We need not be rocked by the world's reaction to Christianity right now. We need to be resting in the king. He reigns. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This speaks of his deity. Jesus was truly God and truly man. He shows us that he was truly man in verse 20. And through him, basically to reconcile to himself all things, whether, he says, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is very important to see Christ in his fullness here. In these glorious words here by the Apostle Paul, Paul is unveiling the glory of Jesus as our great creator, sustainer, and our perfect reconciler. Jesus will get his reward for the labor that he brought forth at the cross. And when you connect verses 19 and 20, you need to make a connection back to to verses 16 and 17. They they weave together perfectly. And when you do that, they, they teach us that Jesus took on flesh and came to the earth to fully reconcile fallen men. We would amen that. We would agree with that. We are the recipients of that as believers. But that's not all he did in his reconciling of fallen men. He's also promised to fully restore his creation in the future for those fallen men who are redeemed by his cross so that they can dwell in righteousness and enjoy his presence face to face. Once again, he needed to do that because we can't reconcile ourselves to him. We can't fix this world in our own strength. And here's here's why he had to do that. Our our world, as I said earlier, our world is marred by man's sin. And think about this, the way that the world looks today, it looks like our condition internally and spiritually speaking, right? It reflects our spiritual condition and nature. When you look at the world around us, the world is fallen. The world is broken. The world is defiled. The world is dying. But that's not the way it was in the beginning. Look what it says in Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter one, beginning in verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place And let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and saw that it was good. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit-bearing trees, in which there is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation. Plants yielding seed according to its own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its kind. And God saw that it was once again good. Now go to verse 20. 
And God said, let the water swarm and with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Do you see a theme running through this? Look down at verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, within that time frame, he created man upright and without sin. And he says at the end of this in verse 31, that everything he created, even man, was very good in his sight. But it's not that way today. Before man sinned in the Garden of Eden, he says all things were good, very, very good. The world was perfect. The world was bountiful. The the world was good. It was life giving. In other words, it reflected our God, his nature, his condition. But when we sin, when man sinned and Adam fell in the garden, we sinned with him. Everything changed on this planet. We can see how it changed in Romans five. You don't have to turn to these. Let me read them to you. Romans five, twelve, because of man's sin, something changed in this world. Death came. Death was the result of man's sin. It says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's not all that came as a result of man's sin. Distress came to man. In Genesis 3.17, and not to 19, it says this, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. There will be great distress now as a result of Adam's sin in the garden. We, we feel that. We can testify to, to death and distress in this world because of Adam's sin. There's also something that we are very familiar with even today that is despair, not just death and distress, but even just this despairing mind and heart in days like this. Job 14 one says this man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. Here's what we learn when we look at the biblical picture of what happened in Adam's case and affected all of humanity and what Christ came to reconcile. Here's what happens. Here's what we learn. Sin desolates. Sin brings despair. Sin brings distress. Sin kills. It distorts. It, it ruins what it touches. It desolates our health. It causes despair in our hearts. It causes distress in our minds. It kills our bodies. And it even distorts the world as a whole. Christ had to do something to change that. Only Christ could accomplish it. Adam could never reconcile himself back to God. We can't reconcile ourselves back to God. The curse of God that, that Adam felt that he brought upon himself and his posterity, that, that, that curse has transformed this planet. It has marred the earth continually ever since the day that he fell. And our planet now and all mankind on it are headed for destruction. They're headed for decay. They're headed for death Due to sin's presence in this world. So what's happening right now 
in this time of quarantine, this time of of being safer at home and sheltering ourselves. This is important because this is actually God's pause on the planet saying, pay attention. This is what sin brought. Don't misunderstand this. This is the providential act of God to wake people up. And look, the world is scrambling right now to resolve this. They cannot resolve this. There is no vaccine for this. Only Christ could resolve this. And Christ has. And he did so at the cross. And the effects of that will be seen in the future. We desperately need Christ, the reconciler today. Not to eradicate the virus. He can certainly do that. He's sovereign. But we need Christ to reconcile sinners to himself. For he is worthy of their adoration, praise, and honor. We need something beyond the strength of men. We need something greater than men. We need the God-man. Only the Creator Himself can reconcile what man has ruined by sin. And praise the Lord in Colossians 1, 16 and 19, we see the good news of that to us and to the Colossians. The Apostle Paul here declares that Christ is that Creator. And not only that, he's also the reconciler of all things. And he reconciles believers, and particularly at the cross, through his incarnate work, which we celebrate today and every Lord's Day. He is the creator and reconciler of all things, he says in verses 19 and 16, in heaven and those things that are on earth. Look at verse 19. If you look at verse 19, you can see the the power of Christ to do this great work. Here, Paul is going to reveal that Christ is certainly God. He is the sovereign creator of all things. Verse 19, look what it says here with me. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, to take up its abode, if you will. He's saying, look, the totality of all divine power has permanently taken up abode in Jesus Christ, God, the son. He is the reconciler and he is also the creator. And in verse 20, we learn that those who trust in him, the God man, those who trust in Jesus and his promises, his power, they trust that he is the creator They must also recognize he is not just the the all-powerful creator. He's also our merciful reconciler. He's the reconciler of man. The God-man became personally involved with his creation. That's what he's telling us here. Get verse 20. And through him, the God-man, verse 19, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of God. Of his cross. Verse 20 is saying, look, Jesus, the creator, he will reconcile to himself all things, all things, whether they're on earth or all things, whether they're in heaven. It's an exclusive term here that he uses. The term, the phrase, all things is tapanta, tapanta. All things without exception. He's not merely talking about soteriology here. He is talking about that, but that's not all. That's why he includes heaven and earth. The earth has been distorted and marred by our sin. The great creator came to redeem man and redeem a place for man to dwell with him for eternity. He is the great reconciler of all things without exception. But we have to think about how how did he do that? How, How did he accomplish? How does the creator do this? 
Well, the creator has to come in and try to reconcile what man has ruined. So there's only really one way that God has given us that, that he could do that, would do that, and did do that. The creator himself intervened. Jesus came through his incarnation, taking on flesh. The creator himself entered into creation, took on flesh, and then stood in our place. And then Jesus, through his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection, he promised restoration. He promised that he would restore peace between God and man. And he even promised that he will reverse the curse. He'll reverse the effect of sin on this world and he'll do it for his own glory and for his people. Saints, we were called to be in fellowship with God. We are called to be in fellowship with God in a new body one day. We are not ethereal spirits in heaven. One day we will have bodies that we will be able to use to magnify God without the curse of sin slowing us down. And Christ wants his glory and he'll do whatever it takes. He'll even recreate this planet and eradicate the power of sin and the effect of it to bring us into his full glory to see his face. That's what I think he's talking about here. Church, it is it is the blood of Christ that makes this possible for us soteriologically. But he has a greater eschatology in mind here, which is his glory. The blood of Christ that, that reconciles us to God, it also promises to us a present and a future peace. We're at peace with God now and for eternity. There'll be no sin left in us. No sin left on the planet when he comes and recreates it once again. And we dwell with him in righteousness. And the word reconcile here in this passage is, is it's really interesting. And it's key to understanding this passage. In scripture, the word reconcile generally means to exchange hostility for friendship. And that's true. But in verse 20, there's more. It's always that way with God. There's more. We could ever hope or dream or even understand But he gave us this revelation to help us see there's more. He implies in verse 20, there's even more than spiritual reconciliation here implied in this passage. It implies that Christ will not only restore his people, he'll restore his creation back to a state from which it has fallen. Now, that's very important. That's very exciting to think about when you look at the world today we live in. It's a sad world. I preached a funeral Friday. And ironically, the landfill that they created in Paul's Valley is right beside the cemetery. And as I'm standing over this casket and looking at eight other individuals sitting there mourning, I'm getting whiffs of death from the landfill going across the casket, smelling and filling the room full of death and decay. And it was an apt picture of what sin brings. It reminded me of how broken this world really is. And I pray that God used it to bring truth and understanding to those who heard that message. The word reconcile in this text, in its context, actually means to affect a thorough change back without exception. In context, that reconciliation, in context, that reconciliation is cosmic, not just soteric. Christ's work will bring order back to the Chaos that was caused by Adam in the garden. It'll bring order to the cosmos because he is the one who reigns over it all. And it's all intended to bring him glory and praise 
throughout eternity. Saints, do, do you do you see what, what, what Paul is saying in this? It, it's, it's Christ's intention in our reconciliation to fully restore peace between God and man in every way in which it had been broken, including recreating this planet. The restoration of a relationship with God was broken, as I said, because of Adam's sin. And that means that basically a full restoration of what Adam had done and what God had granted him in that place in the garden, that full restoration of what we need to come back to can only be accomplished by the one who created it in the beginning. That restoration can only come about by the creator's work once again. But he came to save men, so he had to do this as a man. It could only come about by Christ's work in the flesh as our substitute. Christ did what Adam could never do and never did, and neither do we. Christ alone in the flesh obeyed all of God's commands from the heart. All the commands that Adam failed to obey in paradise. Adam fell in paradise. But Christ overcame Satan's temptations in the wilderness. And then, as a result of his obedience, Christ and his flesh went to the cross where he absorbed God's wrath in our place as our substitute. He came to reconcile what was broken by man. And he's not going to be satisfied until the entire thing's reconciled to himself. Our God is a global God. He is sovereign over the universe, galaxies, and this planet in particular, where he put on display the love that he has for sinners through the death of his son. Jesus, the God-man, he did all that was required that we could never do. Jesus did all these things because it was man that sinned against God. Therefore, man had to die for those sins. So him being fully God and fully man was able to do both. Be the one who reconciles us and be the substitute at the same time. He took on flesh to become our substitute to pay our debt. And he did that personally. I really hope we grasp that as Christians. Personally, God, the Holy One, leaves heaven's glory, comes to the planet and is is humiliated, is shamed, is mocked, is beaten, is scourged, is crucified for us. And he did it personally because he loves us and he loves his glory. And he would do whatever it takes to bring glory to himself. And isn't it wonderful to know that in that process, he brings a host of those he redeems with him. He lived the life that we're commanded to live. We all know this gospel message here. He died the death we deserved. And then he rose from the grave to declare our justification and his supremacy over sin that mars our lives and our planets today. He did this in order to reconcile us back to God. Can you imagine what it would have been like with an Adam's case in the garden, walking face to face with the Lord? Well, he wants that for us again. And so that's why he does this. He, he reconciles man back to God so that we can once again dwell with God face to face and enjoy his glory. Not be ashamed, not bow our heads, not, not fret in his presence, but be embraced by his grace. He wants us to also enjoy the bounty of the earth that he created for us to praise his name for eternity. 
I mean, do you think about this when, when Paul writes and he tells us whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. God really wants you to enjoy drinking and eating. But because we are still sinners struggling with this flesh, we do not always give God the glory and praise he deserves for the simplest of things. But one day in heaven and the heavenly state in the new creation, we will enjoy a feast And every bit of the joy we have in that feast will pour out in praise to our God as it should have been from the beginning. Because he's going to reconcile all things that sin has touched. Church, this is our glorious hope in the midst of a decaying world, a diseased world. One day this defiled and diseased world will be gloriously restored by Jesus Christ himself so that the earth will once again reflect the glory of God as it did in the Garden of Eden. And it will reflect the glory through those he has reconciled personally. When that happens, when that great reconciliation comes in the future, here's what will happen. It will be a revelation that we rejoice in even today as Christians, but we will rejoice in so much more on that day because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus is Lord of the earth, King, Master, Ruler, Savior of sinners. When this day comes in the future, it will be a revelation of Christ's supremacy. That's what you long for today, isn't it? Isn't that why we, we open God's word? We want to have Christ in our sight and see him as who he truly is, as supreme and worthy of praise and adoration. And on that day, we will see that fully revealed. It will fully reveal that his sacrifice at the cross is what overcame sin and the fall of Adam and the curse itself. The God man did this for us. Truly God, truly man came to earth to feel the effect of sin himself to reconcile us and this planet back to him to bring him honor and praise and glory now and for eternity. The effect of sin on this planet is great, is it not? The effects of the fall were great, but here's your hope. The effect of Christ's atonement is greater. The effect of his atonement, the effect of his work on the cross is greater than what Adam lost in the garden. Saints, listen, the power of his incarnate work. Here's here's what we we fail to see sometimes because we're so me focused or culture focused or freedom focused. We need to be looking at Christ. That needs to be our focus. The power of his incarnate work promises us not personal freedom. It promises global reconciliation of all things. Death will be judged. Satan will be judged. They will be done away with. Death, decay and disease will be no more in this new heaven and new earth. Sin, separation and sadness will be no more on the glorious day that we see this revelation of Christ's supremacy made manifest. The earth and all those that Christ died for on that day will be reconciled to see the glory of his supremacy, the glory of our creator now fully revealed then on that day forever and ever and ever. Our God is concerned about getting glory through reconciliation, the reconciliation of all that he has created, including this planet and those he called to dwell upon it in righteousness in the future. He's going to overcome death, decay, disease, sin, separation and sadness on that day. Turn with me to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. 
verse 1. I just want you to try to fix your mind here on this day that we'll see what we're going to read here in reality, in its fullness. This, if you, if you understand this, this current situation and crisis should not rock you. It shouldn't cause you to fight for things or flee from things. It should cause you to rest in Christ. He cares about us. The government can't protect us. The government isn't God. But neither is it our enemy. It's given by God for our good. Christ is the one who reigns over all of it. He directs the heart of the king and he cares about his people who are living here in the midst of this current crisis. So much so that he saves one day when it all ends. Here's what I'm going to do. Verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Then notice verse four, the great reconciler, the savior. He says this, he will wipe away. Every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Saints, let that comfort you in this current distress. Let that guide you in this current reactionary climate. Trust in the one who will wipe away the tears, the one who is reigning and saying one day it's all going to be made right. Just trust me. We can trust him because of what Christ has already promised us at the cross. Christ's work promises us that true peace with God will one day be restored in the future on this earth. It'll be a new earth where righteousness dwells. So I wish, I wish we could just behold the mercy and the grace of Christ as our creator and reconciler in this current situation. Our creator and savior promises to restore all creation for his reconciled children. We should not be moved by any fear in this current climate. We should be wise. We should be good stewards of his wisdom and his common grace. He cares about us. He cares about those we minister to, those image bearers outside of the church of Jesus Christ. He calls us to be salt and light to them in the darkness and despair. And he promises that the God who created this world took on flesh. And one day he promises that he'll dwell with us again because of this perfect work that Christ accomplished there in our place. He'll bring perfect harmony back to this planet through Jesus's victory over the sin that has corrupted it. Listen, we know we know this. This is true from first John. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. 
He came to save his people from their sins. And he also promises to come and cleanse this creation. And he did that because of what he accomplished on the third day after his crucifixion. Jesus' victorious resurrection is the amen of the promises that we have in the scripture. The amen that promises that he will accomplish all his holy will in the earth. Those promises are very important for us to cling to in times of darkness and despair, loneliness, sadness, and grief. Saints, Christ's resurrection promises something very, very important to us that should get us through any obstacle, any problem that we face in life. His resurrection promises the death of death and full reconciliation for all those who trust in him alone. All those who trust in him know that the penalty for their sin and Adam's sin fell upon him in their place. And the amazing news in that is that on the cross, here's what happened. Our great enemy, death and sin, well, death itself sucked in death from the wounds of Christ on the cross. Whenever God's penalty was poured out upon him for our sins. And when he died in our place and then rose on the third day, he testified to the power that dwelt within him. And his sovereign rule and holy nature overcame the things that this world has damned us with and had locked us into bondage by. And he promises through his resurrection that he'll reconcile us to God personally. And completely, he'll conquer the power that sin has on this planet totally one day. And Christian, we need to understand that this day, this Lord's Day, this Resurrection Sunday. Christ on the cross. Get this in your mind. Christ on the cross was crowned with our curse. And then he rose again on the third day so that God could place the crown of his love Back onto Adam's fallen race. That's our promise. He'll restore perfect fellowship with us because of Christ. He'll, he'll bring about a new creation on this planet where beautiness and righteousness dwells. And God is honored in all that we do and all that we touch and all that we taste. Saints, I, I pray that encourages you this morning. I pray you're encouraged by that hope. And I think that if you read Colossians 1, 15, at least to 20, it should remind you of this today. It should remind you that in Christ dwells all the power to restore this broken and diseased and dying world. But what's more important than that, what's greater than that is in Christ dwells all the power to reconcile and restore a sinner's soul and bring them peace with God for eternity. Saints, I think that's truly more amazing than even the restoration of creation that's coming in the future. All of it will display the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ's atonement at the cross. So this morning, as I pray and end our service, um, we have a song. I do want us to meditate on this and find it as a, a source of encouragement in the days ahead that we can share with others who think this is it. Or they're trying to find happiness and peace and perfection here on earth. Saints, this isn't home. This is not our home. Heaven is our home and a new earth will be our home. In the meantime, we're here as ambassadors of hope, reconciled sinners, pointing others to the one who reconciled us, who has the power to sustain creation and reconcile sinners by his sacrifice personally at the cross and through the power of his resurrection that we testify to even when we as sinners sing his praise. So let's pray and then. Guys, come and sing a song for us and lead us.
Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are the one who is to be praised in all that happens on this planet. We, we fall short of doing that. But because of Christ and the work that he accomplished at the cross, one day we will never fall short again. And the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness dwells, we, your people, will reflect your glory in this bounty of goodness that you bestow upon us because of Jesus. Let us rest in that and not try to find that bounty here in this planet right now, but let us live as ambassadors. Let us live as pilgrims passing through, pointing to the celestial city, the greater city to come, the greater promises that are all found in Christ, and they are yes and amen. And we pray that you be glorified in that. And in this song, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.